Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation, and instructions will be given at the time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Grace. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Managing the Side Effects of Immunotherapy. Um, and this is part two of New Trends in Immunotherapy. And um, today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Pfizer, and a grant from Genentech. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program and the series, actually. And uh, we have today on the program over 200 participants who come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we do have international participants from Canada and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call as well. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I'd like to just ask you just a few questions. It'll take about two minutes, and then we'll go right into the program itself. Um, so I want to um, begin with our first question. And for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to actually see the questions, and you'll be able to rate the answers yourselves as well. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand how to manage the side effects of immunotherapy. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how to manage rash and dry skin, flu-like symptoms, including fever, fatigue, and diarrhea during immunotherapy treatment in the context of COVID-19 and its variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. The next question, I understand how to report treatment side effects and discomfort to my healthcare team. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the role of lifestyle, activity, and exercise in managing treatment side effects of immunotherapy. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I'd like to thank everyone for participating in these questions. It really helps us uh, to tailor the programs going forward to know what you know coming into the program. So I appreciate your uh, participation very much. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Balas, Balas, Balas Halmos. And Dr. Halmos is Director of Thoracic Oncology, Director of Clinical Cancer Genomics, Montefiore Medical Center. And Dr. Halmos will be addressing managing the side effects of immunotherapy, how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects, review of potential side effects and guidelines for follow-up care, reporting treatment side effects to the healthcare team, and tips to manage treatment side effects and discomfort. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Halmos. Thank you so much for the invite and the nice introduction, Dr. Messner. Uh, it is a great pleasure to talk today uh, to, to you guys, especially about such a promising and important topic as immunotherapy is for the management of patients with a lung cancer diagnosis. Before talking about side effects, though, let me just highlight that immunotherapy, specifically treatments that we call checkpoint inhibitors, have really transformed the way we manage many different types of cancers, including lung cancers. These medicines principally allow the natural ability of our own immune cells to recognize, engage, and then kill cancer cells that look foreign to our immune cells. Basically, it turns out that in many cancers, especially cancers harboring a lot of changes in the cancer cell DNA, we call mutations, our immune cells already recognize these cancer cells as foreign and try to attack them. However, cancer cells hijack a natural defense mechanism, like using a microscopic taser gun to disarm these incoming immune cells. These new medicines that now we have available basically paralyze this taser gun, a protein we call PDL1, and allow the immune cells to go into battle for us. Specifically, we have learned that these medicines can work dependent on the status of special biomarker tests, including most importantly a test called PDL1 test that checks for the activity of this taser gun, either alone or in combination with conventional chemotherapy 
to put advanced cancers, including both non-small as well as small cell lung cancers, into a better remission, extending the time without the cancer progressing, thereby improving survival, and at times even achieving long-term remissions in cases of advanced cancer. Now we have also learned that they can have substantial value in earlier stages of lung, earlier stages of lung cancer as well, such as in stage three non-small cell lung cancer after chemotherapy and radiation, as well as, you know, we learned more, most recently, surgically resectable lung cancer, stages one to three, both before and after surgery. So all in all, a broadening spectrum of patients will be treated with these medicines, making it critical that we understand their side effect profile very well. So here's the other good news. Uh, these medicines in general are quite safe and very different from conventional chemotherapies. In fact, having none of the side effects we associate generally with cancer therapy, they do not lead to any substantial nausea, hair loss, a significant chance of infections, immune suppression, et cetera. They do have a very different set of side effects, though, by overstimulating the immune system at times, and through their potentially opening gates where the immune system can turn against our, our own organs, something we call autoimmunity. While this sounds frightening on the surface, in fact, most patients on immunotherapy will never have substantial side effects. And now we are moving to use these more conveniently, such as needing less frequent treatment visits. The most common side effect that patients will experience, and this happens in one out of five patients, is inflammation of the thyroid gland, typically leading to burnout of the thyroid slowly over time. We monitor for this very frequently, and management is very straightforward with thyroid hormone replacement. Less common but potentially serious side effects that we all need to be aware of are inflammation of more critical organs, and this can range a spectrum such as inflammation of the lung, we call this pneumonitis, leading to shortness of breath. Inflammation of our intestines, we call colitis, leading to diarrhea, as well as a variety of other possible side effects in, in involving multiple different organs, possibly. The risk of these is low. In general, altogether 5% or so when it comes to more serious side effects. Learning about these early is very important, though, as by now we have excellent guidelines for best management, and earlier intervention when the side effect occurs will optimize outcomes. Typically what we do is we hold the immunotherapy medicine, and we might start other medicines such as steroids that can actually dampen now the overactivated immune system. Different types of rashes are also quite frequent, inflammation of the skin, and many times these respond to topical steroid creams, but sometimes require other types of treatment as well. There's also a chance of a flare of any underlying immune condition, for example, underlying rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis or some other autoimmune issue. And the management of these many times will call for help by a subspecialist, dependent on the organ involved, the rheumatologist, an endocrinologist, the dermatologist, and most institutions by now have built teams of specialists to help us manage these side effects the best possible way. So communicating new side effects, any new concerning symptoms to your clinical team is very important, and especially so for those patients who get both chemotherapy and immunotherapy at the same time, as two different sets of side effects could possibly collide or confuse individuals. As to tips for side effect management, your care team is, of course, your most important resource. But there's many other resources now available on the internet, for example, through um, institutions such as the American Cancer Society, Longevity, Lung Cancer Research Foundation, SurvivorNet, et cetera, that also provide excellent educational content. Now, of course, focusing on maintaining excellent nutrition, maintaining physical health, conditioning, and mental health are always important aspects when facing a cancer diagnosis and cancer therapy. Briefly, let me also comment about COVID-19 concerns. Fortunately, as based on research also coming from my own institution, it seems that these treatments, checkpoint inhibitors, immunotherapy treatments, do not worsen the outcome of COVID-19 infection and actually also allow excellent responses and safe administration of the COVID-19 vaccines, which is very encouraging news. So in summary, immunotherapies represent an excellent and widely used treatment choice now 
with a range of potential but generally manageable side effects that with proper patient education and the use of guideline-driven interventions for most patients, a high quality of life can be maintained on these promising therapies to, let, to allow best outcomes for each and every patient. And I think I'll stop with that, and I'm sure we'll have time for uh, many questions at the end. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hamas. That was outstanding and just a wonderful way to start the program today, really setting the stage for this entire program. So thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions to you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing managing rash and dry skin, tips to cope with flu-like symptoms, including fever, dealing with fatigue, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It's my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, for that kind introduction. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you today about this very, very important topic. Um, I'm going to start and end with the same message, which is communication with the healthcare team is the uh, antidote for all the ills here, and most importantly, it is a critical part of uh, what we're doing with immunotherapy and how to manage toxicity. So communication, clear, concise, and also knowledge of how to get hold of your healthcare team and who to get hold of, especially after hours, is important. So one of the most prevalent side effects has to do with the skin. The skin is an organ. It is the largest organ in the body, and it's the, it faces to the outside world. And it's not surprising that uh, immunologically, uh, our immune system is very well endowed in that uh, one single organ. So therefore, by giving immunotherapy to people, it is not surprising that's one of the organs that can be affected uh, uh, because we now have derepressed or allowed the immune system to ramp forward where in the past it was suppressed. This can manage in many ways, uh, but most commonly manifest as rash. Now, rash is a catch-all term, and it can be any number of things. Uh, but basically, you know, we, it's the old saying, you know it when you see it, and patients understand that these things can happen. You can have eruptions. They can, we have names for it. It can be macular papillary. It can be, or in plain English, it can be bumpy. It could be flat. It could be uh, red. It could be and uh, pale, um, most of the time it shows up as uh, bumpy little rashes that can be very itchy and can have areas of redness. Now, this is one of the things that's very hard to describe, especially if you're doing teleconferencing with a, with a doctor. So one of the things to tell patients is that uh, taking pictures is very, very helpful. And uh, for those individuals that have portals, uh, where you can uh, send pictures to your uh, team, that's really important. I tell folks, always find a good source of light, a consistent source of light, because we try to uh, gauge how the skin rash is changing both in coloration and in geography. So the most common place and most uh, prevalent uh, constant source of light is sunlight. So I tell folks, always take it in a, uh, close to a window or to, with natural sunlight to help us. Again, be cognizant of this is like direct sunlight versus not. Why? Because we look at color. Uh, and if you're doing teleconferencing, um, uh, I will say this uh, with experience because I gave my mother, a, my 90-year-old mother, an iPad. Uh, you <laughs> uh, know where your camera is and, and aim your camera appropriately at the rash. That's important. Um, the thing to tell patients are to really describe the symptoms well. Is it itchy? Is it hurt? Is it red? Is it burning? These are words that are very, very important. And uh, the, the trigger point, the things that you really need to watch out for, which escalate this from I have a simple rash that we can handle easily to something which is uh, more important uh, and you know, more problematic, or if you have large patches of your skin, you're, you know, it, there's a difference between I have a little patch of redness versus my entire arm is red. Uh, you start seeing little bubbles on, on your uh, uh, rash. That's not uh, normal. That's something that you want to draw people's attention to. And skin is contiguous with the internal parts of our body. We call the wet parts, like our mouth, our, our lower parts, right? And if your rash starts extending into those areas, that's a, that's a phone call, right? And that has to be. 
uh, something to be managed with their healthcare team. That's very important. So the way we treat this really is dependent on the rash, where it is, and its symptoms. So the words that I talked about, the, the described symptoms, very important. And when you do get on your teleconferencing, you want to make sure that you might even want to write these things down, right? And so very important. Now, one of the things that, I, that can really help is to make sure that your skin stays well moisturized. Right, assuming that none of those things that we looked about, talked about before, the, the, the forming little bubbles or extension into, uh, into the uh, other parts of your body, including the mouth, if none of that's happening, it's a simple rash, then you know, keeping your skin moisturized and, uh, and avoiding scaling really helps with that. Other symptoms that are very important and very common are uh, uh, you know, feeling like you have the flu and the achiness. I tell my patients, Almost everyone has some degree of that because we have turned on your immune system, right? And uh, fever, low-grade fever, can be a component of that. Now, it's important that, you, that if this is a symptom that you, you try to help your team out. Uh, if you call me up and call my team out as a doctor of a fever, the very next question is, how high is the fever? Which means really great to have a thermometer on your hand. So that's helpful. The things that make me... Uh, perk up and really pay attention are situations in which uh, people have tremendously bad fevers with shakes and chills. We call those rigors uh, or associated symptoms, fevers with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, swollen joints. Those are things you I want you to also notice and report back. So fever by itself or in conjunction with other things are uh, things that can happen, but, but when they occur in conjunction with other symptoms, that is noteworthy. We talk about flu-like symptoms that go along with this as well, and, and whatever I suggest here, be aware that I want you to always check in with the healthcare team because they need to monitor that. And sometimes using over-the-counter medications like Tylenol and Motrin, things like that are very much part of the, uh, the approach to this. But do this with the healthcare team because we want to monitor and see how things go. So that's very important. The last thing I want to touch on is something very important as well, which is fatigue. I tell folks, you're not going to be functioning at your top capacity, but no one should be bedridden from therapy. That's, an, uh, that's a real flag. I came across a healthcare app the other day which uh, uses the analogy of a gas tank, and they take your aging and your exercise uh, sort of uh, pattern up to there and generate this, this little picture of a, a gas tank. And as you work out, the gas tank goes up and down. And I like that idea. The gas tank in someone with immunotherapy is smaller because some of your reserve capacity is used to, 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 to activate the immune system. So your gas tank is smaller. And so be cognizant of how you are, quote, unquote, going through the gas tank, right? So, uh, so be, uh, uh, be aware of how you're using your everyday energy. So some degree of fatigue is common. But we also know that you can have pathologic things happen. Uh, in your body as a consequence or as a side effect of immunotherapy. An example of that will be things like endocrinopathies, uh, in, uh, which are situations which involve adrenal glands, thyroid glands, and things like that. Um, those are things that are detectable by your doctor using physical examination and blood tests. But the first clue is some degree of tiredness. And again, you have to quantify it. You know, to say that you're tired is one thing, but to say that I can't even get out of bed to brush my teeth is another. So uh, you want to just quantify and give your doctor something to really work with. And I also, also want to point out these are stressful times. So not surprisingly, uh, people could be situationally depressed from this. This is a, 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 a normal occurrence that can happen with anybody. So uh, be sort of descriptive about your situation and the degree of fatigue that you have. That's very important to help your healthcare team. I want to end with how I started, which is the, the, the whole issue of telehealth uh, and uh, telemedicine. Uh, these are situations which we are reaching out to each other through electronic means, usually through telephone, or uh, better yet, through video conferencing through a smartphone if that's possible. That is fantastic because it means that you don't have to show up at doctor's office, but it's also not so great because uh, uh, the evaluation face-to-face -face is so important. Therefore, you have to really take charge of this. I tell all my patients, don't be afraid to interrupt me. I can't see your face. I can't see your signal, so go ahead and do it. Number two is make sure, write things down. Make sure you have an agenda. 
and I tell my patients, you know, tell me what is most important to you now. What is the thing that's hurting you most now? Right? It may not be what the doctor is thinking or healthcare team is, but it is contingent upon you as a patient to, to really describe to us what's going on with you. That's so important. And lastly, uh, you always want to review expectations. You want to, uh, like I just said to you, no one is tired to the point where they're bedridden. That's an expectation. And I also say right up front, if that's happening, I want to know, right? So review expectations uh, and what do you think is going to happen? Is this going to be something which is, uh, what, sorry, what are the things that you want me to call you about? So pre, be proactive. And lastly, you know, know how to get hold of your healthcare team, know who and how. Super, super important. I just want to end here. And, again, I thank you for your time and attention. And I will pass you on to Dr. Mesner and the rest of the team. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Wong. That was really wonderful, just outstanding. And, again, just wonderful information for people to have. Um, this is very invaluable. Um, so thank you so much. Um, thank you. And our next uh, speaker is uh, Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell, and Dr. O'Donnell is Director, Lifestyle Clinic, Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center's Survivorship Program, Assistant Professor in Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be addressing the role of lifestyle, activity, and exercise in managing treatment side effects, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Good afternoon, and thank you very much for the opportunity to join you and to talk about immunotherapies and lifestyle and side effects. My name is Betsy O'Donnell, and um, it's my great pleasure to be here with you. I'm going to begin today by talking about reporting treatment side effects and discomfort to your healthcare team. You know, those visits that you have at the doctor's office can often be very short with a lot to accomplish. The first step in making sure that you get the most out of your visit with your healthcare team is to come prepared. And so a lot of us carry um, cell phones with the ability to jot down notes within them, written paper, something that records those questions uh, or concerns about any symptoms or side effects that you've been experiencing. Sometimes in the moment when we're in the doctor's appointment, we forget our questions, and it's only after we walk out uh, that we remember there are things that had come up since our prior treatment uh, that we want to talk about. So it's very important, uh, particularly with immunotherapies, that your doctors be aware of the side effects that you're having. Even if it's a small problem, small problems can become larger over time, and it's better uh, to know what those symptoms are now, manage them appropriately so that it does not lead to a disruption, a large disruption in your care later. The goal of treatment is to try to administer it smoothly um, over a long extended period of time, depending on the disease. And it's better to fix things shorter in the short term and have a better uh, experience in the long term. Um, so, you know, communication is critical. Uh, report your side effects. If you're having side effects and you're not due to see the doctor, uh, do reach out to the clinical team to let them know so that they can take action if you're not to be seen uh, in the near term. Um, one of the uh, important topics that often gets squeezed out is the role of lifestyle and activity, things like exercise and nutrition uh, in terms of your treatment. And so the American Cancer Society actually recommends that cancer patients try to do moderate intensity exercise for 30 minutes a day, at least three days per week, and preferably up to five days per week. In addition to that, they recommend that uh, patients do two dedicated workouts for strength training to build muscle mass for, for patients. There are times when this might not be appropriate uh, and this is something to discuss with your healthcare team. But assuming that uh, you do get clearance from your doctor, exercise has been shown to not only um, improve fatigue, but can also be associated with improvement in mood and in side effects from therapy. What does moderate intensity mean? Moderate intensity means that you're working hard enough that you can still get some words up, but you couldn't sing a song if you were trying to uh, do that. 
Exercise can mean a lot of different things. It does not necessarily mean going for a run. Um, exercise can be doing household activities. Uh, it can be going out for a brisk walk, doing yoga, uh, anything that really tries to get your heart rate up and create a little bit of strain to stimulate your body. You will sleep better if you've done something as well, which may contribute um, to your energy level. Other things that are important are considerations of nutrition, um, sleep. The goal is to try to sleep seven to nine hours per night. There are often um, medications that can uh, affect our sleep. Sometimes pain can also affect our sleep. But again, it's very important uh, to communicate with your team. If you're having issues with sleep, the recommendation is for seven to nine hours per night. Try to go to bed at the same time. Uh, wake up at the same time if you can. Use your bedroom for sleep. Only uh, try to limit the use of screens before bedtime. That blue light can suppress the natural production of melatonin, which helps us fall asleep. So try to engage um, in, in a sleep routine that will uh, help create a uh, better sleeping habit. Um, Patients often want to know what the right diet is for cancer. There is no one-size-fits-all. In general, uh, the American Cancer Society recommends a plant-based diet where two-thirds of your diet comes from natural fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Um, it is recommended that uh, everyone avoid uh, overly processed food, refined sugars, those uh, refined white flours. Really try to eat uh, as close to uh, the natural form of a food as possible. Uh, remember also um, that stress and relationships are an important part of life. Seek meaningful relationships. Talk about the strain and stress uh, of your cancer experience, and that will also help to relieve it. Engage in your community um, to bolster your personal quality of life. It's important to talk to your team about your quality of life concerns. Very often, medical appointments are focused on um, the treatment, sometimes the treatment side effects, and really there's a lot that goes on beyond just the cancer care itself uh, that affects our quality of life. Our care, your care providers only know as much as you tell them, um, and so it's important you know, that you write down on that list some of your priorities and some of the things um, that might be impairing your quality of life um, so that your providers are aware. I can tell you at the end of the day, my number one goal is to help my patients lead their best possible uh, quality of life as they go through their cancer treatment. And you know, these types of conversations are so critical um, to my understanding of my patients and where their priorities are, what their forms of stress or strain are. And we do learn if we ask, but it's also great if uh, we partner uh, providers and patients uh, to really understand uh, patients and caregivers' needs so that we can help address them. Um, you know, many appointments now are conducted through the virtual platform. Um, and so, you know, that is an opportunity um, if you have a, a caregiver or someone at home with you to participate in your visit, um, to lend some insight, uh, to maybe ask some of those really important questions. So be prepared for your appointments and really feel, the, feel free um, to bring in, uh, you know, other care members of your caregiving team to help address um, those quality of life concerns that you might have. Um, you know, the cancer process and the cancer journey can be a very long one, and so it's important to think of that journey as something that, um, you know, requires an ongoing communication and relationship and focus on your best quality of life. So really thinking about um, maintaining your activity level can be so important. And if you're not feeling well and if it's un and you're unable to be active, um, just do your best to try and avoid being sedentary. Um, don't give up doing those daily activities, things like laundry and washing the dishes. Those small tasks are can be considered exercises and keep doing them. Keep stimulating yourself. Get out and garden if you can. Um, 
and turn on some music and uh, dance around your house, if only for the joy of it, but really try to stay active and stay engaged in your life and with your community um, so that you can ensure, uh, you know, your best quality of life as you go through your cancer journey. Thank you again for your attention this afternoon. It's my pleasure to participate in this conference. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Adal. That was wonderful, and I loved your ending um, in terms of people really, really focusing on their quality of life, working with their healthcare team, and trying to build in some ex exercise and movement and even to dance if they can um, to some music that they might like or even either dance uh, in, in any way that they can, um, um, whether it be moving their hands or their feet. Um, just, um, I think that's a lovely way to kind of... Um, focus again on quality of life, which is so important for people. Um, and our next uh, speaker is Ms. Diana Bearden. Ms. Bearden is an oncology dietitian, Michael E. DeBakey VA Medical Center. And Ms. Bearden will be addressing nutrition and hydration concerns and tips and controlling diarrhea. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. So nutrition and hydration are key um, in your tolerance to treatment and then also to provide the energy to do the things that you enjoy. Now, each person's side effects are unique to their treatment, and um, so it's so important that you keep an open line of communication with your healthcare team. Some potential side effects that may um, interfere with nutrition and require an intervention um, related to your diet include things like diarrhea and fatigue. Um, it's important that you address these issues with your healthcare team sooner rather than later. Um, we want to help you as soon as we can in, in addressing these side effects. So a dietitian is part of your healthcare team, and they can help with addressing your specific side effects and issues um, by adjusting your diet, maybe giving some other recommendations um, regarding your lifestyle, just to help with um, managing um, what you're going through, what you're experiencing. Now, some people um, think, oh, I have weight to lose. I don't need to worry if I'm losing weight. And we really um, do keep an eye on, on patients as a whole, um, and that includes their weight trends. And weight loss during treatment is not recommended unless it's being supervised by the team. And um, one of the reasons for that is when we lose weight as we age, we start to lose muscle mass. And muscle mass is very important in our ability to maintain independence and keep our endurance up. And so maintaining that weight um, really helps us preserve the muscle mass. And that's why one of the reasons um, weight trending is something that we keep an eye on um, to help intervene if there's a challenge. And dehydration is something that oftentimes gets overlooked. When you're dehydrated, it can actually make you feel a little nauseous, um, even more tired, make you feel dizzy, give you headaches. Um, so it's really important that you stay hydrated. And fluids are anything that is liquid at room temperature. So these examples include water, juice, sports drinks. And a general guideline is most people need between 8 and 10 8-ounce glasses of fluid a day. Um, if you are experiencing some specific side effects, I always encourage patients just to jot it down, keep a log, um, and then bring that to your healthcare team. It'll help us help you better. Um, and so we can we can really target some of those things if we know more specifically where you're where you're struggling. Again, a dietitian is part of your healthcare team, so feel feel free to ask your healthcare team to reach um, out to the dietitian um, to connect you with them. Um, and that concludes my portion of the talk. Thank you so much for being for allowing me to be part of today's workshop. I'm going to pass the line back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was really wonderful and lots of really good tips for people to use in terms of um, their diet and nutrition and, and hydration, particularly during um, uh, treatment um, with immunotherapy. Thank you. And um, I'm just going to say a few words about cancer care services so that you can all access them. Some of you may be familiar with these services. Some of you may not. Uh, but cancer care is a national organization, so most of our services are provided to people in the United States. We do have people on the call today who are from other countries, and indeed, if you go to our website, 
um, uh, www.cancercare.org, you'll be able to post your question and one of our oncology social workers would get back to you and really help you to resolve your question. Um, and in terms of our, we do have a hope line. It's an 800 number, um, 800-813-4673. And that um, is a number that many people call within the United States. They call and, they, and the person who picks up the phone is an oncology social worker. We um, really don't have very much wait time, so when you call, you're pretty much, the phone is answered by an oncology social worker. We uh, staff people to be on the call at certain times. I know so there's plenty of people on the phone. We have about 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, so throughout the day, they're all, they have different days that they're really staffed just to do that. And to some extent, most people start with some question or concern that they have, and then the oncology social worker then goes over with you all the different services that we can offer. So what are those services? Well, first of all, we do offer support, and support to people with the issues and concerns they have. We also offer online support groups. And we do offer both practical and financial and co-payment assistance to people in the United States. Um, and that makes a very big difference to many people because of the financial challenges of cancer. Um, and to some extent, we are able to provide um, some resource help ourselves, and if we don't have enough, we'll get you more help through other organizations or many other organizations that we uh, that work with us that actually or that work that we are aware of that actually we can refer you to and be sure you get that help from them as well. And it's okay to get help from many different places. And for those of you internationally, again, if you email our website, our staff, our oncology social workers will be able to connect you with resources that you may not be aware of in your own countries where you live. We also have um, a case management uh, staff, and they actually will help you with things that perhaps we don't have um, on staff here, that we don't have as a resource here. So many people have issues around food insecurity. They just don't have enough money for food or for housing costs or for all sorts of other costs. And so we will assist you with those costs by really um, by helping you to actually um, access um, resources. What they'll do is they'll take you virtually to um, an organization. They'll be with you, um, with them. And until the until you're issue is resolved until you get the help you need. They'll stay with you until you get it resolved. So we don't just give you a list of places to go to. We actually do a stay with you. That team stays with you until that issue is resolved. Um, we also have, uh, have a number of online support groups and people like them because they happen not in real time but actually 24 hours a day. People can post whenever they want to on these online support groups and we have many of them. And they are both about specific types of cancer, specific types of cancer treatment, and also um, for people of different ages. So for young adults, middle-aged adults, older adults, caregivers, partners, spouses. Um, so you name it, we probably have an online group that would be a good fit for you. Um, and so that's another resource we do. We also have what we call uh, coping wellness circles. And those are smaller groups in which people get together on a Zoom call and actually um, address a particular topic of concern that they have. And it's also moderated by an oncology social worker. And um, they're topic focused, but they do allow people to kind of share their experiences and, to, and also to have experts to give them some help as well. And we also do, of course, these workshops, these Cancer Care Connect education workshops, probably about 75 per year, sometimes more. Um, this year we may be doing more than 75, and we also offer um, uh, publications that you can actually read and um, uh, call us and we'll, we'll send you those publications, or you can get them on our website and download um, the publications as well. So I hope this gives you a snapshot of the services we offer. There's one other service which I want to just mention is for many of you on the program who have pets, animals that are um, you know, your animal, they're companions to you and they're very important to you. and for some people, and they have certain requirements too. They have requirements sometimes you may not feel up to taking them for a walk or and you may not have anybody to take them for a walk. And you also may not have the funds for to help with their care. So we do have a pet assistance program. Um, and it was developed because of many people indicating that they were so torn between the care of their pet and whether they be able to keep their pet and when they're in a hostel, what do they do if they have no friend or anyone to take care of them. So we often help people to figure out what to do. Sometimes we provide specific practical assistance, but it's a very unique program and something very helpful to people. 
So with that being said, um, we're now going to um, ask you just a few questions before we actually um, go into the Q&A. So I'm going to start with just this, take about two minutes, um, a few questions, and so I'm just going to start with the uh, first question. And for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll be able to rate your answers on the questions. So as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to manage the side effects of immunotherapy. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to manage rash and dry skin, flu-like symptoms, including fever, fatigue, and diarrhea during immunotherapy treatment in the context of COVID-19 and its variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now we just have two questions left. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with my healthcare team to follow their tips and suggestions to report treatment side effects and discomfort to the healthcare team for follow-up care. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of lifestyle, activity, and exercise in managing the treatment side effects of immunotherapy. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank everyone for participating in these questions. It really helps us to understand um, what you may have learned during the program today. So that's really important for us to know so that as we plan future programs, we can be sure to tailor them to meet what your needs are. And now we have time for questions um, from all of you. And so I'm going to um, ask um, Grace to bring all of our speakers on board and to also um, please um, uh, I'll, uh, explain to people how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And we have a question from one of our online participants, um, and this will be for Dr. Halmos. Um, can genetic testing determine an effective immunotherapy treatment? Yeah, that's an excellent question. First of all, when we when we use the word genetic testing, we can think about two different things. You know, genetic testing can be about inheritance. You know, have you inherited certain genes that make you predisposed to cancer? That's not the type of testing that we do in the management of patients with lung cancer. We do something called genomic testing or molecular biomarker testing, and that is looking at gene defects, gene abnormalities in the cancer cells. That's not something that you pass on to the next generation. It just happened to the cancer cell itself. That basically drives then the cancer and can be targeted, usually with targeted therapeutics. So these special genomic tests are more important to identify who could qualify for targeted therapy. We haven't spoken about those. Those are excellent treatment choices as well for the right patient, and that's why biomarker testing is so important. But sometimes they can also help you define who could or could not benefit from immunotherapy. Typically, if a lung cancer is driven by one of these special biomarkers, for example, the EGFR gene, the patients will do a lot better on targeted therapy than immunotherapy. While I mentioned that for immunotherapy, we have a positive selection marker, the pd one protein, a cancer that's very positive for pd one is quite likely to benefit from immunotherapy. The clinician has to look at the whole panel of assays and then pick the best tailored choice based on the spectrum of molecular and immune biomarkers for each and every patient. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wonderful answer and great question, too. <laughs> Thank you. And another question um, for Dr. Hamos. Um, what are the possible long-term effects of immunotherapy? Well, as you mentioned, immunotherapy many times is very well tolerated. We have patients on immunotherapy for years without side effects. But in some patients, you know, there will be side effects, and those can be transient or those can be more permanent. 
For example, we spoke about some endocrine organs that can be inflamed, the thyroid gland, the adrenal gland. When those glands burn out, they will not recover. So that's a lifelong condition then, <clears throat> but usually very manageable, just replacing the hormone that the particular gland you know, had, had been producing in the past. So it's a permanent issue, but usually not a major issue for patients. Of course, there are many other immune conditions that hopefully you know, we, can, we can keep transient, such as inflammation of key organs, as I mentioned, the lungs, the colon, but sometimes they can develop into a more, more persistent issue that requires ongoing management. But by and large, you know, patients as they come off of immunotherapy typically are able to function at a very high level and usually do not have permanent you know, major disabilities as a result of the treatment. Excellent, thank you. And another question, we have a lot of questions from our online participants. Um, if someone receives treatment with immunotherapy and goes into remission and ends the treatment, could you go back to receiving immunotherapy again if there is a return of cancer or will it no longer be effective, Dr. Hamos? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question that is actually very hard to answer in a, in a simple, you know, black and white, you know, way. Uh, it does depend on many, many different things. And if, if a patient had to stop immunotherapy because there was a side effect, but the immunotherapy seemed to work very well against the cancer, we know that it can be tried again. The problem is, though, that the side effect could, you know, reactivate just as well. So the clinician has to really carefully look at the pros and cons of reinitiation. But yes, indeed, sometimes a second trial can be appropriate and can yield a second success. Excellent. And we have a telephone question. Um, uh, also, thank you. Okay. Grace? Yep. We have a question from Linda A. Your line is open. Um, I was wondering, can you stay on immunotherapy indefinitely, or is there a time when it stops working? Thank you, Linda. Thanks for that question. Uh, uh, Dr. Hamos, if you could address that. Very, very practical question. Um, what, what I can say is that most of the clinical studies that led to the approval of immunotherapy recommended using it for finite periods of time, usually two years. So many patients will stop the treatment at two years and hope you know, that, that, the remission will, that the remission will stay. But at the same time, there's definitely some patients who will not be willing to stop because of the great success and stay on the medicine indefinitely. And that also was the case in some of the early studies with these immunotherapies. So, yes, some patients are able to stay on it indefinitely without necessarily a lot of uh, additional side effects. We do not know, we actually do not know if continuing after that set amount of time is beneficial or not and should be actually a matter of clinical studies in the upcoming years. Excellent. Thank you. And another question from our online participants. Why is prednisone sometimes given during immunotherapy? So prednisone is a steroid medicine. So these medicines are immune suppressive and they can be very, very helpful in many, many different settings. They also have side effects, of course. So we wanna use them judiciously. We use steroid medicines uh, to help patients with, with a cancer diagnosis undergoing treatment for different reasons. The most important one in the context of immunotherapy is to manage the side effects of the immunotherapy. As I mentioned, if major side effects occur, that usually means that the immunity you know, has been overactivated against a particular organ that can be uh, potentially very, very harmful. We have to stop you know, the immune activating treatment and we have to provide immune suppression. Usually the first tool that the clinician will reach to is steroid medicines such as prednisone or dexamethasone. These are two commonly used agents to get the immune system back in check. And many times these work really well but then we have to taper them over time, hoping that the immune condition doesn't reactivate. Sometimes we also use these medicines along with chemotherapy to minimize nausea from chemotherapy. And if you use chemotherapy and immune treatments together, you might, you might you know, get steroid medicines to manage the chemotherapy side effects, but sometimes it also influences a little bit of the activity of the immune, immune treatment and also might minimize side effects a little bit. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and a question about, um, for Dr. Hamos, how can I manage nausea? 
So that's, of course, a very, very common issue in patients with a cancer diagnosis, either related to the cancer diagnosis itself, you know, if, let's say, the condition impacts abdominal organs, the motility of the stomach or the bowels, but also very, very commonly as a result of treatment that we give for cancer, of course, you know, most, most often from chemotherapy. The clinician, you know, will have a wide range of treatments that we can offer nowadays to manage chemotherapy-induced nausea, and that can range from simple, you know, nausea medicines uh, to, to very complex uh, and extra expensive ones uh, with higher and higher success. Uh, so nowadays, nausea can be well managed, and we also use sometimes additional tools, such as, for example, medical marijuana for best management, as well as the steroid medicines that I, that I mentioned. So there's a large armamentarium of medicines that we can, we can try to use. The first thing, though, is to identify the source of the problem. If it's chemotherapy, it's, it's usually uh, very obvious for the clinician how to manage. If it's related to the cancer causing the nausea from involvement of abdominal organs, that can be more complicated to manage. Immunotherapy on its own typically does not cause nausea. Excellent. And um, another question, um, does the effectiveness of immunotherapy differ from person to person, Dr. Hamels? It definitely does, uh, not as much related to the person itself, but the makeup of the cancer that's being managed. And we're learning more and more as to how we can pick the right cancer types, you know, for best um, immunotherapy selection. For example, cancer types that harbor a lot of mutations. Think about, for example, different skin cancers related to ultraviolet light damage. That damage leads to a lot of breakage in the DNA of the cancer cell, so it looks very foreign to the immune system. So in those cases, these immunotherapy medicines can do wonders. Uh, melanoma, a very aggressive condition of the skin, in the past, when metastatic uh, led to the death of almost each and every patient diagnosed. Now, these immunotherapy medicines cure about half of the patients with the same condition that two decades ago was basically fatal at diagnosis. So they can do really magic for the right individual. In the case of lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, we use the protein test called PDI1 to identify the patients who might be optimally treated with just immunotherapy alone, where the PDI1 is very high, uh, the likelihood of success is higher. In small cell lung cancer, the less common type and more aggressive type of lung cancer, we always use it alongside chemotherapy. It makes the chemotherapy work better, but on its own does not have enough activity. Excellent. Thank you. Um, um, so uh, this question is, what are, ab for Dr. Hummels, what are abnormal or concerning side effects of immunotherapy? So, um, you know, there's a very wide spectrum of side effects. Um, practically all of those side effects are related to enhanced immunity, autoimmunity, but this, this autoimmunity can impact any, any organ in the, in the body. It actually makes your clinician, you know, learn new and new things each and every day. Uh, because the number of conditions is so broad. The good thing is that for most patients, you know, they do not occur, but for the small percentage when they can happen, having a clinician with expertise in identifying the underlying autoimmune condition, and that clinician having a group of experts who can help out with the very specific issue is that, you know, severe skin rash, you know, such as psoriasis or eczema or Know, or urticaria, you know, coming up, or is it severe colitis where you need a gastroenterologist? Uh, so there's different conditions, and we all have kind of champions on our teams who help us out, you know, with subspecialty uh, needs as they come up. You know, your oncologist is a key champion of the team, a quarterback, but, you know, they'll, they'll need, you know, some extra helpers when the specific uh, complication needs that, that type of expertise. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Amazing questions and amazing to have Dr. Hamas addressing them. Thank you so much. Um, and this question, I'm so tired now that I have started immunotherapy. What can I do to regain my energy? I don't feel like myself. That's a general question. And fatigue is a very, very common condition and, and very natural in a way uh, in, in a patient, you know, facing a cancer diagnosis and an undergoing treatment where there can be many, many elements contributing to that fatigue. That can be the cancer leading to certain complications, such as, let's say, anemia. It can be the treatment on its own, you know, causing, for example, the endocrine issues we spoke about. 
So first of all, it's very important to discuss it carefully, you know, with your treatment team to make sure that they can pinpoint a very specific cause of the fatigue. If it's an under under performance of one of the endocrine organs, usually we can use hormones to replace the need. If it's severe anemia because the bone marrow doesn't doesn't produce enough red cells, a blood transfusion might help greatly. In patients, and this is very common when there's no very specific cause to fix, but the fatigue is, is really a major issue, there's medicines that we can try. They don't always work, but we always work hard to try them in sequence to see if we can improve the fatigue, improve quality of life. And some of those medicines that a clinician might use might include different antidepressants, might include, you know, potentially again, medical marijuana, might include uh, nutritional, as well as, you know, uh, other other types of approaches, you know, to boost, you know, somebody's uh, um, energy level and overall kind of outlook on life. And this will be the last question. How soon after immunotherapy treatment will I begin to experience side effects? Yeah, whenever I introduce immunotherapy to one of our patients, I always mention that, first of all, usually there's no immediate side effects whatsoever. So there's no expectation that the patient receives the immunotherapy and goes home very sick. Usually these immune conditions take time to develop, so it could be weeks, it could be months. They will require monitoring, both blood-based, whenever you, you get your treatment. The clinician will need to check a, a list of tests to make sure that your kidneys, your liver, your, you know, your blood cancer are in a normal range. The thyroid function, endocrine function is good. Um, and on top of that, I always, you know, tell patients that, you know, they should, they should, you know, be encouraged that there's a good chance that they will not have side effects. So it's not the expectation that they will have serious side effects, but there's, there's only some potential chance that's in the range of about 20%, as I mentioned, that some notable side effects will develop, but only 5% or so will be serious enough to lead to interruption of treatment, you know, steroid medications needing to be used. So we're, we're always, you know, going into immunotherapy treatments with a, with a positive outlook in a way. But yes, indeed, uh, patients need to be properly educated so they pick up on signs when those uncommon but potentially significant side effects uh, come up. And usually in that case, uh, communicating with clinician will be the key issue as these are not, not, not side effects that can be self-managed in a way. So good communication with your treatment team is absolutely paramount. Well, I want to thank um, our participants. I particularly want to thank Dr. Halmos for addressing all these incredible questions. Um, they've been great questions, and indeed we have many more, but we are we did say this would be an hour workshop, and um, we are coming close to our um, uh, conclusion of the program. So I want to thank again Dr. Halmos and, and, um, and uh, the other speakers as well and all of the participants. Um, this has been an extraordinary program. And I know we've done this topic before. I think the questions have been much more knowledgeable and sophisticated this time. And also, of course, Dr. Halmos has been incredible in answering all your questions. So, But I do want to, um, as before we end the program, I do want to say a few words about um, about those of you who asked questions and those of you, so for those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question you have to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question, um, I want all of you to go back to treating healthcare team. They actually know you the best, and although we have many more questions in queue, so again, so all of you take this into consideration, go back to your healthcare team with your question. You've learned some things on the program today, so take that back to your healthcare team and see today's program with your asking questions, as you did ask a question, as a role play for asking questions. And to also recognize that all your questions are terrific and important to you, and they need to be answered, and ideally by your healthcare team. We also know that you all like to go and search out information on your own. So we very much recommend that you go to very credible websites to check out information. We want you to go to places that are constantly updating their information and by experts. So we will give you, at the end of today's, well, tomorrow, you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation from us. In that evaluation will be included um, both the Cancer Care Hopeline number, our website, but we're also going to give you a lot of other organizations that we think would be very useful to you to um, contact if you have questions um, and want to have answers to them about immunotherapy. There are a number of organizations that really are specifically geared to getting information out to you. Um, we have information on our website too, and there are others as well. I want to be sure that you have a, a good range of people to call. But again, really go back to your healthcare team because 
you know, a, um, a website is really not the perfect solution to what about me? You know, your doctor knows all of your specific um, details of your cancer and treatment and all that. So basically do, um, you know, do, you know, do ask your healthcare team um, with, you know, that that's really important to do. Also, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with cancer and its treatment and immunotherapy. I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support and we are here to help you and you'll be getting lots of resources that you can um, access to help you um, um, in your coping with the side effects of immunotherapy or with cancer in general, any type of cancer. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Have a great day, everyone.